Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher, Jayla Whitfield. Hi, Jayla. Hi, Alex. You had the opportunity to chat with Spiros Kitsu, Associate Professor of the Department of Biomedical and Health Information Sciences at the College of Applied Health Sciences at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I'm also seeing that another title is Associate Chief Research Information Officer, Officer of the Vice Chancellor for Research. So a lot of titles for Spiros. Tell me about your guest. Yeah, it was a great conversation. He definitely is doing a lot, but it's a lot of great stuff. Um, His expertise is in telehealth and the development and testing of mobile health technology interventions for patients with chronic diseases and other conditions. Um, So we talked a lot about the rapid increase in telehealth since uh, the coronavirus pandemic, cybersecurity, the adoption of security programs for health ecosystem, and the challenges also around mobile health technology. But yeah, it was a great conversation. We got to dive into so many different topics just because he does an array of different things. That sounds really interesting. So tell me a little bit more about how telemedicine and cybersecurity are working together because obviously it was a necessity uh, when the pandemic started and now it's something that is very much a daily part of our lives. But I think a lot of people using those services aren't really thinking about how their personally identifying information is being protected in the cyberspace. So what'd you all talk about? Yeah, so within the healthcare ecosystem, cybersecurity is huge overall just because there's so much data and that data is sensitive. So what we had a chance to discuss is how to address those concerns related to data security and patient privacy in the development and use of healthcare apps and technologies and wearable devices. So making sure that security is top of mind when using those devices and in the process of creating them. Building in that security from the start, I know that's a uh, a concept that we very highly advocate for here at uh, GovCIO Media and Research, so I'm glad to hear that was part of the conversation. Well, let's not keep our listeners waiting. Let's take a listen to your conversation. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to HealthCast this week. This week, we have a special guest, Spiros Kitsu. He is an associate professor and director of the M-Health Innovation Lab in the Department of Biomedical and Health Information Sciences at the University of Illinois at Chicago. He's also an associate chief research information officer in the office of the vice chancellor for research at UIC. And I just want to say thank you so much just for joining us and taking the time today. Thank you, Jayla. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Of course. And I know you do research that focuses on several different capacities. Could you just talk a little about some of the work that you do and what you focus on? Sure. Um, So my research focuses on development and evaluation of novel and culturally appropriate digital health interventions, primarily for chronic disease management, but also for promotion of healthy lifestyle behaviors. 
Definitely. I know that telehealth, mobile health, those are definitely big topics right now in the health ecosystem. So how have you seen the landscape of telehealth and mobile health technology evolve over the years? Uh, well, telehealth and, and especially cybersecurity are two of today's dominant influences in healthcare. Uh, both have evolved tremendously over the years. Um, before COVID-19, telehealth use uh, in the United States was on steadily increasing trajectory, but its uh, implementation and integration in healthcare services remained kind of low, primarily due to um, complex regulations, restrictions that were applied by cent the Centers for Medicare, Medicaid, and also private payers uh, who were uh, offering reimbursement for telehealth interactions. However, the COVID-19 pandemic kind of changed everything, you know, drove a rapid increase in telehealth technology adoption um, to help patients access care during the pandemic. The um, health and the, the U.S. Health and Human Services, along with other federal agencies, eased a variety of medical licensing and, and privacy rules. So reimbursable telehealth services expanded and, and um, you know, the geographic barriers and platform restrictions were also removed. So this had a tremendous direct effect on telehealth practice. For example, telehealth use under Medicare um, increased tenfold from about, I believe, 5 million services from April to December 2019 to more than 53 million services during the same months uh, in 2020. So during that time, we also saw a sharp increase in uh, cybercrime. The U.S. healthcare industry uh, noticed a 25% increase in successful cyber attacks during the pandemic. Now, uh, to be clear, these cyber attacks were not specific to telehealth, but the increasing adoption of telehealth, coupled with a, a uh, you know relaxed regulatory environment, um, made the opportunity for exploitation a very real threat. Um, so we, I know many of us read uh, about uh, ransomware and, and other cyber attacks on hospitals uh, and, and, and the sophistication and motives of these attacks, um, we, you know, we have seen that have evolved over time. Uh, the crime itself has changed from one that is financially motivated to an act that also represents a threat to life that endangers public health. Um, cyber risk to healthcare sector now more than ever is directly influenced by geopolitical climate, and and you know in this environment, healthcare organizations and providers need to um, increase the cybersecurity at all levels. So as as we now move into a new post-COVID era, the the benefits of course of virtual care delivery will continue to drive adoption, but healthcare organizations need to continue adopting security programs to meet a new level of responsibility for the patients that they serve. For example, they need to deploy more mature analytics, better adherence to cybersecurity and privacy regulations, um, and also use data to show return on investments and, you know, and, 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 and um, maintain uh, you know, the drive for this significant telehealth expansion. Uh, finally, uh, it's important to note that the effort to protect hospitals and patients does not only rest with hospitals, but must include law enforcement, military and intelligence assets, uh, you know, for their defense. Definitely. That was a great breakdown. I know that with all of the mobile health, there comes challenges along the way. So I guess, what are some of the key challenges and opportunities in the safe integration of mobile health technologies into healthcare systems? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, mobile health technologies hold tremendous promise for improving healthcare and lowering healthcare costs and also for promoting disease prevention behaviors. You know, for those who are here in terms of the first time, mobile technologies include smartphone-enabled technologies such as mobile health apps, wearable sensor devices, activity trackers, and other connected health technologies. So all of these have gained significant popularity over the last uh, few years. But beyond the hype of the so-called mobile health or digital health and the, and the, the whole wearable technology movement, the, um, the ability to remotely monitor patients' physiological measures and continuously gather data about heart rate, physical activity, sleep, diet, health status, uh, even location and, and environmental measures, you know, all these measures suggest new, they create new possibilities for both biomedical research and clinical practice. Um, these technological advances are kind of prompting um, new research approaches um, and medical approaches. However, they do raise questions and pose challenges for existing healthcare systems. So to speak about some of the opportunities, for example, you know, from a research medical point of view, tracking and analyzing large volumes of, uh, let's say, longitudinal data um, captured by these devices can help us reveal new patterns of, of biomarkers that might be informative of disease severity or progression. Um, they can also help us open new lines of research inquiry, uh, including development of more personalized behavioral interventions and, and, and also uh, fuel the precision medicine kind of you know, approach and, and new treatments. So under the guidance of care providers, continuous monitoring with using, you know, using digital health products could complement and eventually, eventually even supersede the established medical model that we have now of periodic testing for certain conditions. Now, in terms of challenges, an important challenge is the integration of heterogeneous and large data sets into current medical decision-making processes. So ensuring that these large volumes of patient-generated health data from these mobile and wearable devices are extracted, stored properly, harmonized to relevant standards, you know, annotated or analyzed, and of course, interpreted to um, yield clinically actionable uh, information and insights um, to address research questions, you know, that remains one of the most important challenges in the safe integration of mHealth technologies into healthcare system. Another uh, important challenge that I see all the time in my field is kind of, you know, the need for developing the necessary evidence around the efficacy of mobile health technologies. Um, there's a critical need for more research, including clinical trials. We, we need to test the efficacy, the safety of these mobile, of mobile apps and, and these mobile technologies, uh, such as wearable sensor devices, for various conditions and also in diverse populations. Uh, so this requires a significant amount of time and investment. Um, sometimes it feels like we're playing a uh, catch-up game because by the time we establish some of these uh, preliminary evidence, the technology has evolved uh, and requires sometimes additional testing. Um, so this, this is a critical challenge in our field, um, which I think underlines the need for development of new innovative study design methods to address this challenge.
Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the clinical trials and just studying this more. Can you share um, some of the insights into the clinical trials that you're currently conducting with NIH funding? And um, I guess, are the primary objectives of these trials and how is technology being incorporated when you're doing these? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so currently, I serve as principal investigator or co-investigator on eight clinical trials that are directly funded by the National Institutes of Health. In these trials, uh, we are testing the efficacy of various biobehavioral and, and medical interventions using mainly consumer um, mobile health technologies that are commercially available in order to support self-management of chronic diseases, such as hypertension, heart failure, asthma, COPD, and also to promote healthy lifestyle behaviors, including physical activity, exercise, and healthy diet. For example, in, in one of uh, my studies, one of the studies that I direct, which is funded by the National Heart, uh, Lung, and Blood Institute, we are conducting a uh, factorial randomized trial to test the efficacy of a patient-centered intervention that combines um, well-known devices such as a Fitbit activity tracker, Withings devices such as smart skills, uh, blood pressure monitor. Uh, we combine that with a program of individually tailored text messages to promote better uh, self-care adherence in patients with heart failure. And the ultimate goal is to reduce hospital readmissions and mortality. So this is a very innovative trial because it's the first study that tests the safety and efficacy of using consumer-grade apps and devices for patients with heart failure. So I'm very, very excited about the study. It's a recently funded study, and it's expected to generate very important knowledge that will inform clinical practice and move uh, the field of digital health uh, forward. Um, actually, one other thing I wanted to note here, um, which is, has really helped us uh, over the years. Uh, my research team and I have developed a digital health research platform that allows us to remotely collect upon user authorization large volumes of health data from mobile apps and sensor devices, such as Apple Watches, Fitbits, Withings, and other products. Um, and we do that using web application programming interfaces. Uh, this, this kind of platform is a game changer uh, because it has enabled us to conduct multiple uh, biobehavioral research studies using consumer-grade mHealth products. And, and to just make it more simple for our audience, just to give them an understanding of how this platform works, basically it alleviates the need to bring the patients back to the lab for you know, data extraction from these devices, or um, you know, uh, it alleviates the need to access individual accounts which sometimes might be hundreds, depending on the, the sample size of the study, right, um, to, to collect the data. Um, the platform is named iCardia uh, and has been used now in over, I believe, 15 NIH-funded clinical trials in, in just the last five years. Wow, that's awesome. And I know um, when you're doing these clinical trials and you're dealing with sensitive health information and health data. So given the sensitivity of health data, how do you address concerns related to data security and patient privacy in the development and use of mHealth apps in wearable devices? Yeah, that's a great, uh, an important question. Thank you for asking this. Um, a key uh, consideration for all digital medicine applications and, and of course for mHealth studies is um, obtaining appropriate consent from users, from 
patients um, and, and most, most importantly, explaining to them what the consent means you know, in terms of how the data are collected, how the data are released, accessed, and, and, and reused. And, and there are two different worlds. There's one, you know, there's the clinical trial world, and of course, then there's the industry companies that create these, these apps and products. So in our clinical trials, as part of the written informed consent process, we explain to patients in simple terms what kind of data we will be collecting, where the data will be stored, how it will be uh, protected, and, and of course, who has access to the data and how the data after the end of the study will be de-identified and, and eventually uh, uh, be destroyed after publication of the results. Now, you know, the industry works differently, but they still, um, they still have to communicate to the end users how the data is stored and whether the data is going to be shared. So I always um, urge uh, the end users, our patients, I always urge uh, lay people who use these apps, these products, to read the terms is very important to understand what's happening with, the, with their information. In the world of healthcare, patient health records are protected by the Health Information and Portability and Ac Accountability Act. So, as, as covered as a covered entity, UIC and, and UI Health, we are obliged to following, you know, to make sure that we we uh, adhere to HIPAA regulations. So, the digital health solutions that we develop, such as the iCardia. Uh, platform and other electronic data capturing systems we're using are all hosted in a secure HIPAA compliant computing environment. You know, the systems are password protected. They use, uh, they use uh, dual authentication methods for access uh, and other uh, security measures. Another measure that we implement, which might be of interest to um, researchers, when we use commercially available products, we create de-identified email accounts for study participants. Uh, and we also, in some cases, disable geolocation information to protect their identity from third-party companies. So over the years, we have built, um, you know, necessary expertise, uh, systems and protocols, procedures to minimize risk of data security and patient privacy, always in accordance with HIPAA regulations. Yeah, I know it's so important, especially when you mentioned the cybersecurity concerns that increase after COVID. That's such a huge perspective. Are there any emerging technologies that you find particularly promising for improving patient outcomes? Yes, there are many new technologies, um, which, of course, we're currently testing, but I truly believe they hold promise for improving patient outcomes. I mean, I could, I could go on and on bringing examples uh, one example that comes to mind is, you know, with the new wearable activity trackers and smartwatches, they have developed new sensors and algorithms that can accurately identify irregular heart rhythm or even episodes of atrial fibrillation. Um, these newer technologies can play an important role in the future in, in terms of early diagnosis and, and treatment of cardiovascular disease. So that's one example that comes to mind. Of course, uh, there are many other connected health technologies in the market that can help patients, um, for one thing, perform more frequent and convenient assessments at home, uh, including continuous glucose monitoring systems that can help patients with diabetes self-monitor self and manage their condition. Um, there also exist smart scales that perform bioimpedance analyses, and we use this in our study to educate patients how to, um, you know, uh, keep track of their weight to identify early signs of uh, fluid retention in their body. 
Another important technology, which I believe is poised to profoundly influence healthcare, is AI, is um, artificial intelligence. In the area of mHealth, um, AI can be used, for example, to develop new services and tools such as clinical decision support systems or even interactive virtual health coaches to assist patients with daily self-care monitoring and management of their condition at home. Overall, I think that, uh, you know, mobile technologies have, when, when you look back, you know, in previous years, they have transformed the social fabric of our life. And I think that they're now poised to profoundly influence healthcare and disease, disease management uh, moving forward. Definitely. AI has been a huge topic across the board. Is there anything um, that we didn't cover that you can think of that you may want to mention or may have left out by mistake? I think the one thing that, that we, we, you know, it's critical in our field, in the area of digital health, uh, and, and we get a lot of questions about is patient engagement um, and compliance in the context of using mHealth technologies. There are studies that have shown that patient engagement declines over time, and this is this is true. Uh, we have seen apps that have been developed by research institutions or or uh, by the industry, which actually are not successful. Um, so there's always that question of how do you engage patients? How do you maintain that engagement in the long term? So a couple of things that I think are really important to, to, to highlight, especially for those developers, those who develop mHealth tools, mHealth apps, is the importance of using a, you know, a user-centered design uh, before you implement any kind of solution. You have to understand the needs of the patient population. You have to develop a solution that aligns with those needs and, and also with their uh, daily life. Um, many technologies, especially apps, I believe, fail to do this and unfortunately end up being either too complex or, or perhaps not addressing the real needs of the patients. Um, therefore, they're abandoned, you know, after a few weeks. Uh, so one of the things we try to do when we build interventions is to talk to patients and, and use a co-design approach. Then we have implemented also um, through iCardia, we have implemented various measures based on the data that we collect remotely um, to that allow us to understand uh, track adherence actually in real time and, and intervene uh, in a timely manner uh, using micro interventions such as reminders via text messages or vibrations on the on the tracker uh, uh, motivational text messages goal setting and other successful behavioral change techniques and actually, after we started doing, uh, after we started implementing these measures, we observed high levels of adherence, uh, both in terms of using the apps and devices and um, achieving the goals that the intervention is asking them to achieve uh, in our studies. So definitely patient engagement, you know, and compliance is, is a critical issue. Definitely. I think that was perfect. I just want to take the time again and just say thank you for taking the time to talk with us and our listeners. Um, we really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I appreciate the invitation again. You have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jayla. That was a really fascinating chat that you had with Spiros. 
Before we let our listeners go, are there any last highlights or takeaways that you want to leave them with? Yeah, I really enjoyed his insight on the different uh, clinical trials that he's currently doing with funding through NIH. Um, He's doing several different trials where he's testing out different apps and wearable devices for patients with chronic illnesses. So it was really nice to hear from someone on the actual inside that's working on this day to day. But yeah, definitely a great conversation. And I would love to talk with him again um, once some of those trials are finished. Definitely. We always enjoy having repeat guests here on HealthCast and on our other podcasts as well. Well, Jayla, thank you so much. Listeners can tune in to a brand new HealthCast in two weeks. But in the meantime, if you like what you heard, make sure that you are subscribed. Please leave a review and a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Alexander Bolova. And I'm Jayla Woodfield. Thank you for listening. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. If you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.